Hello, listeners, and welcome to Sober Town. This is your host, King13, joining you again. I've just boarded the train and I'm going to ride into the wonderful world of sobriety. And today we've got a very sensitive topic. And when it was brought up, I was really excited to be able to have the opportunity to talk to this lady and see her experience and actually what has happened. And we're going to be talking about borderline personality disorder. Uh, Basically, what I did, I looked up the actual correct um, definition. And I do want to say that we are not professionals. We are not health professionals. We are just simply members of the I Am Sober community, which is a free app that you can download. It actually counts your alcohol-free days. You can make an account. You can post, comment, make friends, come to Zooms and get loads of support. So if you're not aware of that, please um, download it after you have finished listening to us. And here at Sobertown, again, just, you know, you can go around after you're done and we've got lots of different stories, lots of tools to help you, book recommendations and so forth. So we like to consider ourselves a one-stop shop. Now, getting back to our topic today, borderline personality disorder, it is basically an emotional regulation disorder characterized by impulsivity, sometimes self-harm, and difficulty maintaining relationships of any kind. You say you saw the most dramatic improvement since going sober, which I believe you said to me, Emily, and that you have learned certain tools about um, what you can do for BPD. So I'm going to just turn it over to Emily here and let you take it from there and then tell the listeners exactly your experience. Hi, thank you for the intro, Debs. Um, so, yeah, it's a it's a sensitive topic indeed, but it's uh, for me, this is really important to share with the community because when I first found out that I had BPD and uh, and substance abuse issues that come along with it, I felt like I didn't have a lot of people to listen to. I didn't have any success stories to reference. Um, and, uh, you know, before I dive in, I'll say that I'm doing really well right now. I'm at seven months sober. I haven't self-harmed in a long time. I'm maintaining good, I'm building and maintaining good relationships. So for anyone that is uh, dealing with BPD or emotional regulation disorders, I want to say it can get better, but you have to put in the work. So, um, And congratulations too, because that's terrific. I've actually, I'm watching you on your, as I, I call you a fellow traveler on our journey, on our sobriety journey here. So it's a huge effort and you are embracing it. So congratulations. And please, please go on. Thank you. And you can find me. I'm a Fräulein on the app. It's uh, F-R-A-U-E-L-E-I-N. So anyways, uh, so basically what happens with me is I suffer from overwhelming emotions. Um, and that doesn't just mean I'm like uh, crying all the time. It means that I experience emotions differently and potentially way more intense than the average person. Um, Mm -hmm. So this has been something that's affected me since I was a teenager, but uh, I'm, my emotions are especially overwhelming when I've had a drink. And I mean that when I say a drink sometimes. So I'm completely that drunk who's just crying on the curb um, or that uh, drunk friend who's just anxious and being really annoying or starting fights with people around me or, um, many times I've just been that horrible person who is out with friends drinking and I just run away from the group. Um, I'm kind of a liability when I drink and, um, I never really put two and two together that I had this disorder of BPD and that also my drinking was completely sending it to a next level. So 
So can we just stop there for a minute and go back? When did you, when were you diagnosed with the disorder, Emily? In November 2019. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Go on, yep, yep. <laughs> I was misdiagnosed uh, for, for a long time, but I guess I'll kind of dive in a little bit later to that. But yeah, 2019, and then I went sober uh, towards the end of 2021. And I can say yeah. as touched upon Debs, I guess for anyone listening early in the podcast and who might cut out later, I want to say that my mental state did not see a substantial improvement until I went sober. Sobriety has been, I think, in addition to taking better care of myself and going to the right kind of therapy. So sobriety has been the most powerful tool in helping me manage my, my yeah. BP. So that's fantastic. Uh, yeah. It makes me smile. It makes me smile. Anyway, sorry, go on. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So I think uh, most people feel some kind of euphoria when they drink, um, maybe not all the time. Uh, you know, we all go through shit show moments uh, when drinking. That's why we're all curious about sober and many of us are maintaining sobriety and it's, it's amazing. But that euphoria is uh, what makes people drink up to 95% of people experience euphoria. Um, and I, uh, but however, though, many people also experience bad emotions from alcohol, mm. uh, really bad emotions. So more than 52% have experienced depressing feelings while drinking um, and I mean, come on, who among us has not experienced feeling like nostalgic, oh, nostalgic, yeah. anxious or angry, starting a fight in the bar, you know? Um, so kind of to, to dive in, we're going to verge away from BPD a tiny bit and kind of dive into why alcohol makes us emotional. Um, because I've been really curious about this topic because I do get so emotional sometimes after just one drink, um, and I was curious about the scientific causes that go into that. So uh, I think we all know alcohol is a depressant, but that doesn't mean necessarily that it will make us psychologically depressed. Right. Uh, there is uh, research shows a correlation between heavy drinking and depression. I think many of us know that. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Rather, what it means is that a depression, uh, depressant incites a chemical reaction, slows down activity in the central nervous system, um, and it's all of this activity that's responsible for interpreting sensory cues, controlling motor function, thinking, reasoning, and of course, regulating emotion. So once that kind of barrier is breached, alcohol settles into the outermost layer of the brain. And that's called the cerebral cortex. Mm -hmm. First thing that goes is our inhibitions, which we, <laughs> like many of us do, um, and a booze-free cortex would normally keep our inhibitions in, in check, but we become more talkative and assured. But then, of course, with every drink, these effects become more pronounced. Uh, the limbic system is tucked right behind the cerebrum, and that's what's mm -hmm. believed to be the emotional center of the brain. It's a, it's a series of structures behind the cerebrum. So, and that uh, controls our emotions and our behavior, and also uh, controls our long-term long memories. So, uh, as same within the cortex, booze interrupts the electrical signal, signals between synapses, and then at that point, we're unable to interpret information properly. That's why, mm -hmm. you know, there's bar fights starting over a few words sometimes. We're just not, interpret we're not interpreting situations correctly at that point. Um, so this can manifest in mood swings, exaggerated states. Um, we can misunderstand someone's intentions. We misunderstand or amplify our own feelings. That's, in my case, very often happening. Or we just simply say something that is embarrassing or we regret. Um, which I definitely have done a lot of. So, so there is a there is a scientific reason why alcohol makes some people very emotional. Um, 
And yeah, in my case, it's, it's, you know, twofold because of having BP. So yeah, as I said, for me, this is kind of a, a coming out because BPD is highly stigmatized. Um, and I don't think that it's very fair, but it's incredibly stigmatized. Um, it is a very crippling disorder to have that has disrupted the lives of very normal people and has made it possible for me to have a normal life for most of my adult life. Um, and with the right kind of um, therapy, it can get better, but it's, you know, you hear a lot about like, you know, oh, that crazy person with BPD and, um, yeah, I think they just need help and they need <laughs> sobriety, but yeah. Yeah. And look, you, you mentioned the characteristics are here and the ones I wrote down and, and correct me if, you know, not these may not all apply to you and everybody is different, but it says intense fear of abandonment, instability, difficult tolerating being alone, um, yet inappropriate anger, which you just talked about, impulsiveness and frequent mood swings, again, you mentioned. You push away others, even though you want to have a loving and lasting relationship. It's exactly, it's exactly right. Yep. And there's, there's those nine key aspects of borderline personality disorder. And to get a diagnosis, you need to have five of those nine uh, points. Right. Oh, that's and, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and in my case, I, I hit seven of those points. Um, mm -hmm. As you say, it manifests different for everyone. And like all disorders, it's a spectrum. Some people are really suffering. Some people have a more, you know, a milder uh, case, but yeah, to, to get a diagnosis, you need to hit five of those. Um, so yeah, it's, it can be extreme fear of abandonment, impulsivity. I think for me, impulsivity, self-harm, those were some of my biggest, uh, those were some of my most debilitating um, symptoms. And of course, self-harm can be through, um, through all kinds of different things. So um so it's those different, okay, uh, sorry, a little pause. That's okay. And I just want to read something out while you're just finding, um, yeah. just finding what you're looking for here because it says, you know why it's called borderline? Because I read the doctors previously thought that it was on the border between two different disorders. Number one, it was neurosis, and number two was psychosis. Now, those terms, thank God, are no longer used. What they have come up with now is EUPD, which I think probably even I have some of it, if not quite a bit, emotionally unstable personality disorder. And, you know, I mean, this could apply to so many people. It's just, as you said, to what degree, um, it's the same with drinking, to what degree do we feel we have a problem with anything, right? So I thought that was really, I'm glad they changed the, that terminology because, um, as I said to you, I, I know somebody with this and it is debilitating and, Yes. So please, have you found what you're, uh, what you, what yeah. you're looking for to go on? That's okay. Yeah, I was actually, that's, I was, I wanted to mention. So, so uh, in the States these days, it's now called emotionally unstable personality disorder, which also sounds horrible. Let's be honest. Um, yeah. It's not great, is it? <laughs> better names. Unstable is, yeah. Yeah. Borderline makes it sound like I'm constantly on the border of some catastrophe, oh. which which I, I'm not, I'm a pretty normal, loving, kind, real person. And um, I just struggle to manage my emotions sometimes. <laughs> like, I wouldn't have known. There you go. And I see you in Zooms. <laughs> but I agree with you. I, I struggle to manage mine, particularly at this point in my sobriety at 16 yeah. months. <laughs> anyway, go on. Sorry. 
I'm not laughing at it. I'm laughing with it because I've got to laugh through sobriety. Otherwise, you know, what is there, right? Because we've all all got things going on. Yes. (laughs) And not take ourselves so seriously because, you know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're we're here working on it, peoples, because we're raw and unedited and this is what we do. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Um, so, so people with PTSD, I think where it, where, you know, bringing the conversation slightly towards, um, back towards, uh, drinking and substance abuse. So, um, people with BPD tend to struggle navigating many aspects of life. Um, and, uh, one of the most common thread amongst BPD sufferers is being overwhelmed by emotions to the point that you engage in really dangerous, impulsive behavior. Um, so that there's a spectrum of ones that are counted in, at, at least in Germany, where I was diagnosed, um, the, the main ones that they consider as self-harm would be, uh, things like gambling, shopping addiction, um, self-harm in terms of cutting yourself, burning yourself, hitting yourself, pulling out your hair, whatever, uh, risky sexual behaviors. And I think one of the, one of the most common, if not the most common self-harm and impulsive behavior is substance abuse and alcoholism. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as with many different people, uh, those who are like me, we turn to substance as a mute button, right? And we're not actually realizing that by picking up uh, that glass, we are actually making things a lot worse. Um, and these are these unhealthy coping mechanisms that we use because we're just so damn overwhelmed by the way we feel. We have so much emotion inside of us. We don't know what to do with it. So um, so BPD is is the jury is still out exactly what causes it. Um, over 75% of people with BPD experience some kind of childhood trauma. Um, and I am in that boat. Um, and it's also partially caused by brain chemistry. Um, there's growing evidence to support that it's not just trauma. It's also brain chemistry. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, there is no medication that can be taken for BPD. There's just a very specific kind of therapy, which I'll, I'll touch on that in a little bit, but some, some kind of factoids, some numbers. Um, so BPD affects up to 2% of the population and it's overwhelmingly uh, females who are diagnosed. That's because males are often misdiagnosed as having PTSD, PTSD post-traumatic right. stress. I read that right, right, mm. yes. Yeah, there's a lot of symptoms, cross symptoms between uh, PTSD and BPD. It's, it's shocking. Yeah, that's what they said in Lee Wright, yes. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's a lot in common with it. Um, and over 40% of people are initially misdiagnosed or underdiagnosed, such as myself. I was getting professional help for a decade, uh, seeing therapists, and I never got the right diagnosis mm. uh, until, I was, until I was 30. Um, it's common for comorbidities to exist. So a lot of people with borderline also have, um, they can have intense anxiety, they can have obsessive compulsive disorder, they can have depression. Um, There's a lot of tendency for it to exist among other things. Luckily for me, my main issue is just the BPD (laughs) and and substance abuse. But, um, and then here's some statistics that are a little bit less happy. over 75% of people attempt suicide at least once in, in many cases, including my own multiple times. And uh, one in 10 people with borderline personality disorder die by suicide. So it's a 10% mortality rate, which is not great. Um, mm. And th- I mean, this is something really big to share, but I, uh, I'm also one of those. Th- so 
three years ago in 2019, there was a lot going on in my life. I'm not going to go to de details, but I was having a big burnout at work. I was, um, I was having treatment for uh, cancer that was found in my body. There was things going on in my family. My marriage was falling apart. Um, and I was turning to drink because I was so overwhelmed with my life, so overwhelmed with my emotions. I, I didn't know what to do with them. I didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, and I just started drinking and drinking and drinking. Um, and at one point, after about a week long bender, um, and after a day, a full day of very heavy drinking, uh, I tried to step in front of a subway train in Berlin. So I was drunk and overwhelmed um, and I saw no other way out. And I thought, this is not getting better. This is just my life now. I, I'm trapped with whatever's going on inside my own head. And the alcohol fueled the crazy inside of me. Um, and I thought I had no other way out. So thank God for me. <laughs> thank, thank Buddha. Thank, I don't know. Uh, two strangers intervened. And thank God. Mm. Yeah. They, I think they had been watching me on the platform for a bit. I was pretty obvious. I was there. It was the middle of the night on a cold Berlin night and I was shaking and clearly drunk mm. and alone and upset. And, um, basically through the series of events that transpired after that, I ended up in a Berlin mental hospital. Mm -hmm. and, and, I and I'm sorry, but I'm glad you did. <laughs> it's better than the alternative. And I'm so <laughs> glad you're here. It was one of the best things that ever happened to yeah. me. Look, same for me giving up alcohol, Emily, but oh, go on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, you know, a place that some people just need to go sometimes and there should not be any shame in it. Um, so I ended up in that hospital in the end for a month. <laughs> um, this this changed my life. It saved my life. Um, among mm -hmm. other among other reasons, in addition to getting you know the right healthcare and treatment that I needed, it was also my first ever experience in my adult life with sobriety. Um, wow. Because you wow. can't drink and you can't drink in the mental hospital. <laughs> <laughs> I might try. Right, no, we don't recommend it. <laughs> it's a hell of a way to detox, though, that's for sure. Yeah, it was interesting. And um, I'm, I'm ashamed to say. Um, no, don't be. There's no shame yeah, in podcasts. Of anything, this is, yeah. I, this is real and it's valid. You just say it as you feel it. Yeah. I. Uh, such was my relationship with alcohol at that time that, I literally snuck out of the mental hospital a few times to have a drink. Um, I would have probably too, to be honest with you, where I was at. So, you know, I don't find that unusual considering yeah. what yeah. we know about alcohol today. Do you know what I mean, Emily? It was, it was, yeah. I knew that I was feeling good by experimenting with sobriety in that way. And, um, but I just thought, oh, that'll be a good way for me to, you know, deal with this intense therapy session that I had. I'm going to go have some drinks and I would seek out past the nurses and at nighttime and go to a bar and, and have some drinks. So, um, yeah. And, that, <laughs> and again, that wasn't you. That was your addict voice that got you out the door and got you to where he wanted to get you. Wow. So to get his fix. That is not you talking. I'm going to say that, but anyway. I never thought of it that way, but that actually makes me feel a lot better. Yeah. That's, 
it was it was it was an addiction it's the addiction correct um so it took a few years and some false starts i've been toying with sobriety since then um getting up to a month and then losing it or two weeks and then losing it or think, thinking I can moderate and then not being able to moderate. Um, but I'm here now, actually, this is this, the big difference between my other attempts at sobriety and this one is this community. This is the mm. only factor that has changed. Um, using the I Am Sober app and having this community and participating almost every week in these Zoom calls, um, that has been a huge change for me. Well, that makes me feel so good because, again, you know, this time last year we were just, um, you know, Paulie and Karina were just getting the ladies going and we only had a couple of, of meetings. And they've just, I've sit back and smile now because they're just helping so many women connect with like-minded. There is no shame, blame. We know that. I don't accept that for a minute. And I don't accept the word, I'm only one day or I'm only a thousand days. You're, you're here. You are here and you are better and as I said, I had no idea that you were in all this pain and, and everything with what's been happening to you. So you had obviously treatment when you were um, when you were away. So what exactly did they do for you that made you feel better? Do you think? Mm, I think. Or did I, they? I think for me, the biggest well, the the first big change came when this monster inside of me when it had a name. When I, when it had, when I had a name and a description for wh- wh- what was going on, on with me, that was already the, the, one of the most profound things of my entire life. Like, I'm not crazy. I'm not a bad person. I am sick. Mm-hmm. And that came as well with sobriety. The other times when I said, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm reducing my drinking or, you know, now that I can say that like I am sober and not just avoiding alcohol, having a name for something and a framework for it is a, is powerful at least for me and i think for it is i think sobriety generally is very empowering and i did a podcast just on that the power of sobriety because i had this thing about you know feeling empowered you know at about seven or eight months and it was like i never thought i could do this and other people can do it and it's because we're clear again our mind has cl- that clarity like you said we're not numbing you know, we're not changing all, all what's going on upstairs in our brains. And I rewind, like I said to you, I still rewire and I do my mantras and everything else because I understood that it was a behavioural pattern that I needed to change. But not only that, I needed, like you said, to get the addict voice, give it a name, let's call him the devil, and I've eyeballed him twice in 16 months and I know he's there and I purged him out of me when I was detoxing. It was not pretty. And I did this on my own when I detoxed and I could visualize him. And when I could visualize him, I could do something with him and I could put him in the box. I wanted him to be him and lock him away. And that's where he primarily stays. And I've compartmentalized all these different things with trauma and everything in my life to get my mind into some sort of order because I too suffered from extreme anxiety. It's in my family. The, uh, the depression is in the family. So you can imagine after 40 years of drinking what where my brain was at. I was down the deepest dark hole and I did not want to be here either. There were days I would look over my balcony and think, if I just threw myself over, I don't think it's high enough to kill me. I'm just going to end up with broken bones and here we go again. And I, then I'd catch myself thinking, what are you thinking, woman? You're, you, and I knew, I thought, 
this is not you. Mm. This is not you. You are not well. This is the addiction. And that's when I realised that, you know, we, we, we have to do something, you know, that was not good because there was nowhere else to go. I was prepared to go and let alcohol win and it was only when I got angry and decided that how dare you, you've taken enough. Um, yeah, no more. But, but you know, everyone, everyone's got to get to that point, it. don't they? It's a, very, it's a very personal thing. It's a very personal awareness, mm. I believe, and we can't, you know, we can only be what they call us, the lighthouses and, you know, and not everybody's like us. And I'm a little bit envious of those who can moderate and just come out and have a good time. Uh, I, don't, I don't know a lot of people because I don't know a lot of people here in Miami that can do it because here in Miami everybody drinks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's party town. I'm probably the same way you are. Through COVID, here we go. Addiction is just <laughs> rampant in everywhere. It's global. Anyway, sorry, go on. I, 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 I tend to do that, but go on. <laughs> it's no, no, no. It's it's important. And it's a great topic. To I love talking about this stuff. I love this stuff. It's so important that you feel yeah. validated, you're, you're, you're heard, and people listening are probably going, oh, my God, I mean, I was doing the same thinking. Well, I'm okay. Yep, yep. I've got, I think I've got those five. And, you know, maybe a lot of us aren't diagnosed with certain things. We don't know, do we? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's um, you know, and once you start really looking through different mental illnesses, it's easy to self-diagnose and be like, wait, that sounds like me, but <laughs> no, right. it's, it's important to, to, you know, seek professional help. Do the right way. Yes, do it the right way, people. That's right. Yeah. Yes, no self-diagnosis. <laughs> Sorry, go on, Emily. It's so tempting. Like, I have been there. I remember just traveling through and just looking for an answer to what the fuck was wrong with me. Mm, and, uh, mm, you know, mm. And I'm telling you, I went to I went to doctors for a long time, and no one ever said, "Hey, Emily, you actually have borderline personality disorder." They just said, "Hey, take this pill. That's going to make oh, everything God. better." It didn't. Yeah, but. no, it didn't. Anyway, yeah. it's this is why we're doing this. Awareness, power is knowledge, people. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Um, so I kind of want to to dive in a little bit to um, what some of the overlap is between BPD and substance abuse, um, mm-hmm. because there is a kind of therapy that I was introduced to, introduced to there in my uh, German mental hospital and also uh, and also in, in the years of therapy I've had since then. Um, and, and this is an extremely useful therapy. It was originally developed for borderline personality disorder, um, but uh, it's, it's very useful as well for substance abuse um, therapy as well. So I'm gonna kind of back up a little bit. So there's a lot of overlap between uh, BPD and substance abuse, right? Um, Substance doesn't cause borderline personality disorder, but it can really aggravate it and speed up the progression. So the overlap, you know, while I'm describing these things, think about it, they describe perfectly both BPD and alcoholism. So both are very self-destructive and impulsive habits. Uh, they both cause mood fluctuations, sometimes ranging from, ranging from extreme depression to psycho- psychotic periods of extreme intensity. Um, they can both be characterized by being deceptive and manipulative conduct. Um, luckily, I, that doesn't really count in my case for BPD, but many people do tend to go that way. Uh, both can also be described by a lack of respect for one's own health and safety, as well as a respect for one's own life and an insistence on taking part in risky activities, um, despite knowing the dangers. So people that drink and drive or people with BPD that drive dangerously just because they don't fucking care. Um, It also 
both uh, illnesses can lend to uh, uncertainty in relationships, employment, and finances. So there actually is a lot of overlap mm. in symptoms. It sure is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now with several years under my belt since I've been diagnosed and now seven months of sobriety, I realized that I was suffering concurrently, not just from BPD, but also alcohol use disorder, right? They, wow. they were exacerbating each other heavily. They were each other's best friend. Um, and I realized at a certain point last year that I was not going to get rid of one without getting rid of the other as well. Um, and I think that goes for a lot of mental illnesses. Um, and substance disorder that need to get rid of one to get rid of both. Um, Or you need to get rid of both to get, you know, there's no way that I can continue my progress in healing from BPD if I'm also drinking. Yeah, it's the same like, you know, when I was on antidepressants, antidepressants Mm. were doing absolute zippo when you're drinking alcohol. Mm. They cancel each other out. So sorry, I'm just saying it's a similar sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I I think there's many people will relate with that. Um, Think about the holistic view of how you're living your life. Um, right, right. And, and everything that you're doing. So I'm not saying that I was misdiagnosed with BPD. It's very accurate for me. But like I said, despite years of this therapy, I didn't really see improvement until I removed alcohol completely from the question. So I would almost say I've seen more dramatic improvement in my emotional stability in the last seven months of sobriety than in the three years prior. Um, you know, it's been a journey all along, but right now it's like... I can't believe that I was still trying to drink and heal my PPT. So, and you know what, Emily, and I'm going to quote a gentleman from the app, Derek. He always says, if you're ever in doubt, remember your why. And this is your why right here. Yeah. Why that you never go back because you're feeling so darn good. That's right. You know, on, on the, it's only going to get better. You know that it's only going to get better. It's getting better every day. You know, some days are hard. So good. Yeah, of course. Of course. It's not a miracle. It's not a miracle cure. But our minds and, and, you know, and and people too, I found out the other day, when you're dreaming, um, if you stop drinking, um, we can have drinking dreams. We can have lots of different dreams. But the drinking dreams are actually a mind's way of actually healing and unwinding. And just it's just doing its job. It's just doing its its job to heal. So do know that actually drinking dreams are really good. <laughs> wow, I never realized that. Yeah, yeah, I read that the other day. Isn't that interesting? Well, the brain wants to, you know the brain actually wants to take care of itself, and we keep abusing oh, it's it. <laughs> amazing! It's amazing what how quickly the the mind and the body and how kind it is to us. And like you said, how I just wanted to punish myself for most of my. You know, adult life, it's so ridiculous. But anyway, that makes me we're here. Yeah, I know. I was going to say for smart people, I don't know. I keep saying this. Everybody I know is so intelligent. We're all like, well, you don't know what you don't know. And it's so true. Look at the world. You know, we're wrapped up in having a good time and all that sort of stuff. And we still can. I just didn't know it. <laughs> anyway, so, so go on. And this is so good. You know, because you do sound good. And, I, and even when I look at you, you look like you've got a glow and you're looking oh, really happy. And, and you're always working. So I do presume that you still have a, a quite a high stressful job. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually was not able to maintain uh, around the time when I was diagnosed and when I was went into the hospital, I went on sick leave. And luckily, it, uh, I was living in the time at Ger- in Germany, which has very good healthcare system. Um, mm-hmm. So I was actually off sick. I couldn't maintain a job for about six or seven months after my diagnosis. Um, and 
it took, yeah, almost a year after I got diagnosed, I got my current job and, um, that has been, that's been a, a good backbone of stability for me because I'm a person that needs to feel productive. Like I, I need to have something to do. And yeah. there yeah. definitely was times when I was really sick that I could not maintain a job. And I thought I would never maintain a job again. You know, next thing to, next thing to uncover is how to maintain a relationship, but you know, I'm mm-hmm. working on that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Rome, I always say with sobriety, Rome wasn't built in a day, people. I'm yeah. on the highway. It's a long road. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, I'm single. If there's anyone out there, anyways. <laughs> well, we uh, are global. They do come far and wide. I'm going to tell exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah. Anyone in rural <laughs> southern Spain looking for, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Get on IAS, people. Seven month timeline. <laughs> okay. So, so, anyways, I I want to. Um, maybe walk, walk, walk the community through uh, the steps of this kind of therapy that I learned. Um, it's, it's a kind of therapy called dialectical behavioral therapy or DBT for short. And um, whoever's listening, Google, Google it like crazy because this, is, this saved my life. Um, and DBT was created by someone named Marshall Linehan, I believe, uh, in, the, in the early 90s, borderline personality disorder originally was thought to have no cure. Um, And this amazing woman developed this kind of therapy because she had BPD and she wanted out. She wanted off of that roller coaster. So originally it was developed for borderline. However, in the 30 something years since this was developed, it has been shown that this is an extremely effective therapy against uh, substance abuse disorders as well, Um, as well as PTSD, also um, for other harmful behaviors such as eating disorders, which I also was suffering heavily from when I was really sick. Um, it's, a, it's a very useful kind of therapy. It's also heavily used in smart recovery. So anyone who's knowing smart recovery will know some DBT. So basically the, the main tenets of DBT, it, it, what it literally means, dialectical behavioral therapy is integrating opposites. So accepting that almost nothing in life is black and white, everything's kind of a shade of gray and finding a balance of acceptance uh, and also finding a balance between what needs to change and what can be accepted as it is. Um, it's a very kind of, it's a kind of accepting that you're flawed sort of thing, but finding a way to work through it. Um, it is an incredible therapy. It's ideal of course, to have it with a professional and I am not a professional, but what I do have experience in is very is years of heavy therapy in this particular kind of treatment. Um, so with some of these skills that I learned in DBT, I think without them, I would not have been able to reach sustained sobriety. Um, I've been trying to get sober for almost a decade. Um, and yeah, now that I have these skills, now that I have the I Am Sober app, I feel like just as I said that BPD and alcoholism were each other's best friends, for me, sobriety and this DBT therapy, they are each other's best friends. They are, uh, one helps me maintain the other. Yeah, look, can I just jump in there too? Because I did, again, I wrote some notes and um, and this is from the NHS in, in the UK and it says here that the goal of DBT is to help you break free of seeing the world or life in a very rigid way and that can lead you, obviously, into self-destructive behaviour. And you need teamwork. And it says with the dialectics, the school of philosophy that says most things in life are rarely black or white, just like you said. And that's it important to be open to ideas and opinions that contradict your own. And isn't that just interesting in life? 
in any situation. Like you said, it could be applied, can't it? You know. Mm. Yeah, it's. I, I think that everyone on planet Earth can benefit from learning how to see life in a less black and white, rigid way. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, um, it teaches us to be a lot kinder to the world around us, and also teaches us to be a lot kinder to ourselves. Um, which I think is this kind of self compassion is um, key to getting through sobriety and also for overcoming mental illness. And um, very foreign because we're not used to doing it. <laughs> no. Society tells us that we should hate ourselves and then, you know, we, we sabotage ourselves and then we get even angrier with ourselves and realistically... And we we're have- no good to anybody, not even yeah, ourselves. Exactly. <laughs> really, it doesn't know, make sense, does it? It just does not make sense. <laughs> yeah, as a famous drag queen, RuPaul says, if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love somebody else? And Absolutely. Bingo, drop the mic. <laughs> yeah. And I think that is powerful. I try to remember that. Very powerful. Very powerful. Sorry. So go on. Yep. Yeah. So I think uh, at this point, what I would like to do is is maybe take listeners through a a short exercise. DBT is a huge, broad ranging uh, therapy style, but um, these this is kind of a it's called a a chain of skills, um, which I use regularly anytime I'm coming up on some impulsive behavior, or often that impulse is I should drink alcohol right now. Um, It's a cognitive tool that can be used to soothe these intense, challenging emotions. Um, And for me, it's a very important tool in my sobriety tool. Uh, And these have kept me from drinking a lot of times now. So, um, so, okay, let's, it's going to get a little bit kind of mm, complicated here, but bear with me. Um, So, the best thing you can do is kind of learn how to be mindful with yourself, to check in at any given moment with yourself, just throughout the day. You can set a timer on your phone every 54 minutes, whatever, and remind yourself to check in where you are with yourself. And you think, how am I feeling right now? Um, And eventually it's going to be second nature. I check in with myself, I don't know, 60 or 70 times a day, just trying to see where I stand. And that mindfulness already Um, instead of just carrying this anxiety or this bad feeling in our stomach as a knot, it helps us to acknowledge how we're feeling. And once we know how we're feeling, then we can move forward with how to treat that feeling. So let's imagine a scale from one to 10. So let's say like you're maybe out with some friends and there's some drinking going. Uh, you're on a scale from one to 10. One is absolutely no interest whatsoever in drinking. So maybe like when you're fast asleep <laughs> for most people. Um, and then 10 would be when you're actually engaging in that problem problem behavior. So um, with borderline, that would be some kind of self-harm. Or in this case, it would be 10 would be you're actively taking a drink. So one is, yeah, nothing. 10 is you are engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, so your baseline won't always be one, right? Especially if you're early in sobriety, all of your waking moments, they might even start at four or five. You might have an impulse to drink every waking moment and that's okay. Um, just like if you're at a point where you're really sick with borderline, you're never going to be really calm. You're never going to be a one. Um, but over time and time and work, you will eventually end up at one, um, both with sobriety and emotional regulation. So wherever your baseline is, and then you start feeling not good, you start getting an an urge to drink, Um, your number is going to rise, right? Mm -hmm. Your number of how you're feeling. And it can happen really quickly. So like, say your friend offers you a drink, 
that can take seven seconds for you to go from a three to a nine, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Even quicker. It, yeah. Exactly. It's like a roller coaster, and it's powerful as hell. Um, mm-hmm. So, so that can happen really, really quickly, or it can also happen over the course of several days. Say work is really stressful, and you start to think more and more intensively about a bottle of wine. Um, you're always going to be somewhere on this ladder, climbing up and down. You're never going to step off the rest of your life. It's just how it is. Um, but it's important to always check in with yourself and say, okay, between one and 10, how much do I want to drink right now? Because if you are able to check in with yourself and name where you are on that spectrum, you can have a game plan ready for wherever you are. Okay. And there's different, there's different actions that you can take that help you for different levels on this spectrum. Um, And there's no one size fits all thing. You need to be able to piece apart how badly are you feeling in that moment and find the right quote unquote prescription for that moment. So in in borderline uh, DBT, we call these skills. So uh, the best thing is to have your list of skills or planned actions, keep it ready with you at all times. Uh, And I'll go through them in a moment. But for example, I carry my list of skills on a piece of paper, which gets tucked between my phone and the phone case. So Anytime that I notice I'm feeling bad, I pull out my list and I, I don't have to remember anything. It's all on the list of what I can do to feel better in that, depending where I am on the spectrum. So what works for everyone will be different, but I'm going to walk you through bit by bit on, on the spectrum. So <clears throat> let's say I am checking in with myself right now. My emotions are ramping up or my alcohol craving is ramping up or sometimes both. So I check in with myself. I say, Emily, where am I on the spectrum right now? So between a one and a four, you monitor it. That's pretty good. You know, you're might be having a little craving or you might be feeling a bit down, but you just keep an eye on it. Okay. You acknowledge where you are and just promise yourself you'll keep checking in. Um, so then going up the ladder between a five and a six, it starts to get a little more pressing. At this point, you want to distract yourself, uh, Distraction is powerful. For the German speakers, we say, Ablenkung ist kraftvoll. That's what I heard again and again in, in <laughs> Distraction is powerful. So for me, this is when I'm feeling between a five and a six. I go for a walk. I play with my dog. I listen to music. Or I, I, I force myself to get up and do one of these activities. It's actually amazing. It sounds small, like, oh, I, you know, you can't get sober by distracting yourself. But it's amazing how many bad choices I've avoided just by distracting myself and realizing early enough that I'm about to make a bad choice, that I am able to just go for a walk. And that helps me calm down. Absolutely. So, yeah. Between five and six, you find a pleasant, distracting activity. Okay. So it starts to get more. You're between a seven or an eight. Okay. Uh, that's where, you know, you really start thinking, I can't do without, I can't do without a glass of wine. Um, it starts to really take over how you're feeling and you can't really focus on your day at that point. So at this point, you turn to an intense distracting activity. So previously we said pleasant distracting activity. No, now you need something intense. You need something totally consuming. So, and, and normally it's something physically exhausting. So my activity of choice, if I'm between a seven or an eight, I run up and down stairs for 10 minutes until I'm fucking exhausted. Like, until I think I'm gonna faint. Like you have to really push your body. And when you're exhausted, you know what? It's a lot harder to want to drink. Or when you're exhausted, it's a lot harder to want to cut yourself, which is what I was doing. Um, for many other people, you can like drop down and give 50 push-ups, something like this. Um, something that you can do anywhere you are. Um, 
you need some kind of intense distraction between a seven or an eight. And then when you're getting to nine, nine is right on the cusp, right? At nine, you have that bottle of beer in your hand. You're about to take a drink. Or if you're a nine and you have borderline at a nine, you are getting ready to engage in a risky behavior. You're getting ready to um, get in your car and drive really recklessly, or you're getting ready to uh, punch yourself or cut your, cut your skin. At this point, you need to do something which is physically painful, but not harmful. This is key. So the body's response to this pain, it's like kind of a brain hack. Your body's response to pain is that your train of thought is interrupted. And this interruption so often can distract you from, you know, you're on the cycle of like obsession about having a drink and, and having something painful, but not harmful it interrupts that train of thought. So at this point, many people will eat uh, like a super hot chili pepper and then their mouth is burning. Something that hurts or they'll eat like some raw ginger or, or something like that. Something that hurts, but is not harmful because we're trying to avoid, all of this is to avoid harm. So um, in my case, I uh, my tool of choice when I'm at a nine is I run my arms under ice cold water. So I turn on the sink really, really, really cold and I put my arms under it. I also carry a little spiky ball everywhere that I go and I kind of squeeze that. Um, and that helps to, it, it hurts enough. Of course it doesn't draw blood or anything, but it hurts enough that my brain is able to back down from, from the ledge there. So, so that, you know, this is not a hundred percent success rate, but if you go through these again, so I'm gonna, just gonna recap between one and four, you monitor and just acknowledge where you are. From five to six, you think of a pleasant, distracting activity, music, baking, playing with your dogs, your kids. Between a seven and an eight, you go for an intense, distracting activity, something exhausting, like going up and down stairs. At nine, you find something that's physically painful, but not harmful. You can eat a hot chili, or some people carry like ginger candies in their, in their bag, and then they eat it if, or some people like uh, have smelling salts as well, something that really makes your brain go, oof, okay. Um, and then 10, okay, 10 happens. Um, 10 is you have taken a drink. 10 is where you have engaged in the harmful way. 10 is where you've cut yourself. 10 is, you know, so 10 happens to all of us. Um, we are, have this illness and sometimes we're powerless against it, uh, but not. it doesn't always have to be that way. I think the important thing to do is to have a game plan ready for next right. time. Right. This is brilliant. This is brilliant stuff as I'm crazily taking notes. Yeah, I, I, I know it sounds complicated. It's really not. It's like, it, it's like a cheat sheet that you can carry with you for when you're about to do something fucking stupid. And when you're about to do something that you're going to regret, you just have to find a way to hack your brain, find a way to see where you are on the spectrum. And it's not 100%. And you will go to 10 and you have to just have compassion for yourself when you reach that point. Right. Uh, Absolutely. Because, because you know what, tomorrow's a new day and we're not always going to be perfect, but we have to look and see that we're moving generally in the right direction. And um, for me, not only generally, I think we need to go gently as well, you know, as well. Yeah. That's one thing I've learned to, to try Absolutely. and go gently and pause, you know. Absolutely. It's, it's so important. So I would just encourage everyone out there, you know, on your drive to work next time or 
uh, if you have a moment in the evening, just, just try to think through some activities that can work for you at these different stages. Um, and more important, use them. Um, tell people around you that are important to you that you have this thing called DBT that if you, if they see you running up and down some stairs, just, they should ignore you for a bit. You're just taking care of, taking care of your brain, our broken brains that are telling us to drink. We are addressing that and trying to take control over ourselves again. Um, and over time, this worked for me. I'm super healthy now. I'm healthy. I'm sober. And I actually haven't had to use these steps. I don't know for, for months now. Um, but at one point I was going through these steps, I don't know, four or five times a day. Um, it is just a way for us to find some control over our behavior when we originally thought we had no control. Um, so you can research this more online, you know, be prepared, um, research about different techniques. There's forums online where you can research about the different set of skills that people use. You know, every, there's all kinds of ways out there to, to, to monitor what you're feeling, to, to do a pleasant distracting activity, to do an intense distracting activity, and to do something physically painful, but not harmful. There are resources out there that will give you all kinds of ideas. Um, so yeah, I mean, I still have a long way to go. <laughs> I think we all do, but like for me, for me, there is, oh, I'm going to cry. For me, there's a light at the end of this tunnel. Mm, yeah. I never, thought, I never thought I would see that light, but there's light for it's me beautiful. now. It's beautiful, you know, and there's a lot of hope for you mm. and you're seeing new beginnings and that's <laughs> yeah. what it's all about. It's about rebirthing when we get sober. You have yeah. the opportunity now to, it's amazing when we do get sober, how many things actually just get better because the first thing that got better for me was blood pressure that's the first thing that goes down mine was crazy crazy you know and um we've done lots of podcasts too about there's 20 benefits in 30 days that happen to you organically and you can look at your own skin and your hair now you look glowing you look fantastic you know and you're you're a beautiful looking woman so i mean and the fact that emotionally when we feel good and our mind and body are back in sync. And I remember the day when my mind and body came back together and I felt like I was one and whole again. And I had not felt that ever. Yeah. You know, we're, we're bigger than, we're bigger than our illness. It's hard to, Oh yes. It's hard to feel that when you're down in it, but we're bigger than that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And we're all really good people with really big hearts who have been really good members of society for the most part, you know, I mean, you look at everybody, the amount of people that we know through I Am Sober, and it's just the regular folk. You'd have no idea sometimes. We get in these meetings, and I forget sometimes why we're even there. It's just <laughs> girls getting together, having a chat. Yeah. Um, but I do want to, I don't know, I, bought, I wrote this one down too, and I think this, this is just worth mentioning for those who may or may not have heard it, is MBT, the Mentalization-Based Therapy. Do you want me to go on a little bit about that and just read what I wrote? It says here, this is good too, I think, for just generally in life. It says, it is the ability to think about thinking, examine your own thoughts and beliefs, and assess whether they are useful, realistic, and based on reality. Inability to step back from that urge, and that's what we do have. Sometimes we can't step back. We're so in it that, you know, and I've always tried to look at the other person's point of view in, in life. Um, I guess that's just having a sales background. I need to understand, obviously, what the client needs and wanted. But it says, um, 
it says it's not a healthy way of thinking. I'm only thinking that way because I am upset. And that's correct. If you can recognize that you're upset, again, like what you were getting back to saying, the validation, the acknowledgement, the checking in, you have to recognize that other people have their own thoughts, their own emotions, beliefs, wishes, and needs. Your interpretation of other people's mental state may not be correct. You may also need to be aware of the potential impact your actions will have on other people's mental states. And that's one thing I try and do when people come on here and talk to me on a podcast, you know, normally, and we didn't actually get to talk much, but I knew the subject and I knew that you knew exactly what you had prepared because we had discussed that. But a lot of the time, if people are telling their story, I am very aware that I've got their, their mental health in my hands. And some people I'll wait months and months and say no to um, because I don't believe that, you know, they've just got a lot going on and maybe they're not ready for it. But some people say to me, I want to do it. And most people think it's cathartic. And I hope that for you, Emily, today, this podcast has been not only aware Awaring, sorry, bringing awareness for the listeners, but also cathartic for you yourself too. Absolutely, it's. I think it's every time, every time that we open up about some of the darkest corners of our life. I think mm-hmm. it's the greatest growth. That's right. It, this, uh, yeah, this is. It's a very healing process, and like I said, for me, it's really important because I think there are many people with BPD who are in the community and suffering with uh, substance abuse disorders as well as BPD. And, and for me, it was important to come on and say that there is hope. That's Oh, and, and there is hope. And not only that, there's, there's therapeutic communities where you can actually go into residential for one to four weeks. And basically, they're like a large house where they will give you, and I think this is important too, to stay busy and have a routine. I like routine. I write things down. I've got my boards and my calendar and you know, I like to be organized and keep busy like you, but they do, you know, they prepare meals, they do house chores, they play games, they do sports. So it gives them that social interaction as well for the people who may be getting back to BPD that don't, that aren't comfortable in social situations. And let's face it, who likes being the new guy? Nobody. <laughs> you know, so it's quite normal and healthy to feel all these things, particularly the anxiety, a little bit of nerves. I mean, I went to six primary schools between the age of five and 12 so I was always the new kid and in different countries and it's not fun (laughs) you know particularly when you have a weird accent and you have a weird last name and you know I'm in Australia and and, and getting picked on and bullied but that's just part of kids being kids isn't it really and now you know as I said I'm really happy to talk about these sort of things particularly mental health and it's great that even within the community you know the men have got their groups to talk to now the women have got theirs and, you know, we've got the mixed. So really, people, there's something out there for everybody. We have worked really diligently to bring this all to you. And the same here with Sober Town um, podcast. You know, the drifter, the um, founder, he is only 14 months old. And even I Am Sober just voted as number two as, you know, in the podcast arena. So we know that we are getting the message out there that people are listening. I think last count we're in 27 countries. So, you know, I just want to spread anything that can help you maintain, you know, a good quality of life and sobriety, basically. So is there anything else you want to add before we actually say goodbye to the listeners? No, I think, I think we've covered it. And I'm, uh, 
Yeah, I'm very grateful for the invitation. Thanks for having me on today. It's been actually, it's been very cathartic to share that. So thank you. Yeah, look, it's my pleasure. And listeners, if you would like to get in touch with Emily or you have any questions, please just go through the website here and send us a note and I'm sure she will get back to you. And as I said, she is also on the I Am Sober app under, it is Fraulein, isn't it? F-R-A-U-L-E-I-N. At seven months. Yeah, at seven months. And I would be so happy to speak to anyone who's going through anything right now. So please do reach out. Well, look, thank you for being courageous and, and just, you know, enlightening us with all that knowledge and your story. I'm just thrilled that you're feeling better. I was sitting here with a smile on my face. And I love it when people's lives improve. So thank you very, very much. And listeners, um, I'm going to sign off. We're going to pull into the station now. So I'll say bye from King 13. And Emily, would you like to say goodbye to our listeners too? Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs> bye. Oh, that was beautiful. All right, ciao, listeners, and I will see you next time. I'm signing off. Have a great day. And remember, pull that poison down the sink. <laughs>